It's very difficult, I think, for Christians, members of Christ Church, any other of the current day, to imagine what it was like to be part of the church with no history. But the Corinthian church was one of those churches that had no history, no beautiful 100-year-old-plus building, no 150-year-old diocese, no 2,000-year tradition, no fully complete New Testament to go with the Old Testament, no bishops. Hey, that's not such a bad idea, is it? (laughs) But there they were, eager, earnest, devoted Christians, evangelized by St. Paul and After that evangelism, after the church is planted, St. Paul doing what a good disciple-maker is, he goes on his way to the next town and then keeps in touch. And this letter, this 1 Corinthians, is a letter back to a church with no history that was in danger of losing itself completely. Not at all unlike what Patrick talks about, how easy it is to forget who we are as Christians today or who we are as Americans. This was a a church with no history to fall back on, no one to remind them except St. Paul being the faithful disciple of Jesus, the faithful apostle of Jesus, was going to make sure they did not forget. And so he writes this letter, long and complicated and repetitive, but it really has two themes. It has a theme about unity, It has a theme about unity in two ways. Unity between the believers and the unity and superiority of God. That two-sided unity that works itself together into the mystery of the church. I wonder why, maybe you can think with me about it, as the imagine yourself on your way to Wednesday evening worship at First Corinthians Episcopal Church and you're walking down the street, and you're passing all the other local religious outlets, but they aren't churches, are they? There are dozens of religious options in Corinth. None of them, none of them really very attractive to a Christian, or at least they shouldn't be. But you've got to remember, these newly confirmed, newly baptized, newly Christian men and women of Corinth were the only monotheists professing the one God in town. Everybody else had a full tray, a full, a full complement of gods to meet all the different needs. It was easy for them. You got a problem with healing? Go to Temple A, and the God and the priest in Temple A will take care of you. Got a problem with your sex life? Go to Temple C. Got a problem with money? Go down and make a big offering and you'll get a money, you'll get some, well, we have some churches like that, come to think of it today. (laughs) But there was a God for every occasion. And I think that's why in this reading from 1 Corinthians tonight, this reading from chapter 12, it begins three chapters on the Holy Spirit and on gifts. I think that's why he uses the word same and one nearly a dozen times in just a few short sentences. Same spirit, same Lord, same one God, same, same, same. 
He's helping them see that the gifts, though varied, only come from one source. Only one source. Only the Holy Spirit. And I want to think particularly about two of those gifts tonight because I think they have to do with the situation we're in presently that Patrick talked about here in our country as religious Christian Americans. The first one is to point out that there is a quick passage by a gift that's called discernment of spirits. Now, we don't know much about that. We don't know exactly what St. Paul meant, but I'm going to tell you what I think it means. And I think it has to do with the first line of the epistle tonight, the first line where it says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now that's the second half of this verse. Those of you who have your Bibles open know that the, the X-rated part, the part that we're not supposed to say because it makes people uncomfortable in church, and I, that's when I was rector of a parish, I always read those pieces out loud just to make people uncomfortable. So I'm going to do it. it the, just before this, you can't say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote, no one speaking in the Holy Spirit says Jesus be cursed. Now, if someone were to stand up in a Christian assembly and say, Jesus be cursed, and was presenting themselves, himself or herself as a prophet, those who had a gift of discernment would say, that prophecy is not going to fly. And you need to sit down, and you need to pray, and wait on an authentic word from the Lord before you present yourself as a prophet again. And I believe that that's what the, the whole passage there that we read tonight is about discovering whether God is at work and behind what we're doing or not. And if it's authentic, it's blessed by the Spirit, and if it's not, we'll know it. And that's one of the gifts. I think that's what that discernment is about, and we'll come back to that. And the reason I want to come back to it has to do with the working of things that look like spiritual gifts at play. Think back with me to Moses when he goes to see Pharaoh, and God plans a whole series of great and powerful events that are going to demonstrate the unique call of the people of Israel, the unique opportunity for God to show his power. And for the first four or five of those demonstrations of godly power that Moses invokes by raising his staff and striking the Nile and so on, do you remember what happens? The magicians of Pharaoh do the same thing. Not everything that looks like a spiritual gift, not everything that sounds like prophecy comes from the Lord. The devil speaks Scripture regularly, even to the Lord Jesus himself. Discernment I think is a spiritual gift that we all should pray for in a time and place like this. Because as much as we would like to think that as we walk here to Christ Church, we're not going to be passing those other kinds of religious outlet. 
I've got to tell you that the magicians of Pharaoh are serving up their version of truth and happiness and the American way all over town and all over our country. There are magicians calling us and suggesting paths that we should take that are anything but the path to truth. We're not going to find our happiness anywhere other than in a solid relationship with Jesus Christ. And St. Paul is writing to remind these Christians with no history that they're making the history by being the careful and diligent seekers after truth. So when you hear a prophecy, when you hear it in a television story about people in the streets, and you see them falling into a pattern that looks anything but holy, what would St. Paul say about that? What would he say about much of what he has seen that those engaged in it would like us to believe is a kind of righteous cause? There's no righteousness in causing suffering. There's no righteousness in causing damage and death and injury. There is righteousness in seeking justice, and discernment can help us be sure that we do not forget the difference. I remember preaching on 9-11. I, there was, we had a, a, I was in Baton Rouge at the time. We had uh, the bishop of the diocese, who was my seminary classmate. We had all kinds of people coming to some kind of big deal event in Baton Rouge. We had a lot of them at the parish I served. And that event was scheduled before the disasters of the day took place. And whatever my sermon was, I ditched it. And I can remember preaching about the difference between revenge and retribution and justice that night. And I think that is the key for all of us right now. Keep a clear vision of what is done with the blessing and the work of the Holy Spirit and what isn't. And St. Paul would write us a very nice letter. Amen.